Welcome to Because You Need to Know. I am Edwin K. Morse, President and Founder of Pioneer Knowledge Services. This series is your digital resource of valuable conversations with nonprofit and knowledge management enthusiasts from across industries and from around the globe. Hi, my name is Carolina Trigo. I live in Porto, Portugal, where uh, there is good food, wine, and sunny weather. And I would like to talk for hours about cooking, brainstorming solution for digital transformation, digital presence, and agile mindset. Hi, my name is Neil Wagner, and I live in the city of Calgary in the province of Alberta, Canada, home of the 1988 Winter Olympics, if some of you remember that. I can tell you that one of the reasons why I live there is that there's lots of sun, there's great mountains, and I love to ski, which I'm pretty good at, and I like to surf, and I'm terrible at that. Hi, everyone. My name is Ricardo Calejo. I'm from Porto, Portugal, and the, that is the place for good wine. As you probably know, all Porto wine, it's from Porto. Okay. And then also from the city of the greatest Francesinha. You probably should search this and you'll know why. I'm also a father of two kids, twins, two baby boys, and uh, a lot of headaches for the moment. Tell me about technology and why nonprofits should care about future proofing themselves. Anybody, anybody's guess here. What? Tell me something. I I'd like to jump in on that one. Please. The world of the not-for-profit is a substantially different world than the for-profit world. Simply because for most not-for-profits, they don't go out and sell anything. In other words, they don't really have a source of revenue. Some do. The, the agency where I'm the CIO, they do that, but they still backfill with lots of grant money and program money and things like that. So what you want to do to manage yourself as a not-for-profit is minimize friction in your transactions. It's like the number one goal for any well-run not-for-profit. And if they're not focused on that, they're not paying attention. And what that means is their operating costs are too high. So that's the role of technology not-for-profits. We try and reduce friction wherever we can. The relationship that we have here in this conversation is a client and a service provider, correct? Correct. Yep. Now, as you've heard, Neil is the CIO of a very large nonprofit in Canada. And the other two folks on the call, our relationship is they're a service provider for your role as CIO. So can we talk about that? Can either one of you pick up the sticks here and tell us what is it you provide uh, in this case, for Neil. So what we've been doing, it's about doing a better support for the processes that Neil has inside uh, his organization. He challenges us to somehow sort the information around the intranet, okay? Where are all the processes and all the workflows uh, needed for the execution, the daily execution. And uh, that needs to be sorted in another way. And that where, is where we come in. And we try to help Neil to define these processes. Carolina here probably can talk a little bit better about that because she worked closely with Neil. Yes, in this case, we showed 
some solutions to see what can be done, to show what can be done in an internet, for example, a place where everybody goes and search every document they need. So in this case, a solution would be, in this case, it was an internet, a Microsoft a solution. Searching, for example, a document is very important nowadays. But the first job was to organize, to see what they have in-house. And after that, okay, now we are ready to build a solution on that. But the first job is to clean up the, the house, to see what there is inside. Now, what can I do in here? I, I understand yeah. what you're saying, that the first thing you have to do is look under the hood, see what's going on, analyze what is, start to understand what needs to be or what should be. Uh, so as a CIO looking for these kind of services, there seems to be nothing but opportunities for folks out there. What's a critical factor when you're deciding to find help to elicit some help from a service provider, Neil? Talent. The number one issue is that there are, in, in the land of computing generally and in the land of Microsoft more specifically, there's nine zillion people out there that claim to be expert in certain things. The sad reality is that many are not. And it's very difficult to sift through the skills that people have and try to understand who has the skills that I need for what I'm trying to accomplish. I admittedly got uh, at one point very frustrated because I kept trying to find people who could understand what I was talking about and yet people weren't hitting the mark. Now, I discovered DevScope through a different challenge that we had. We have four pillar applications that we rely on very heavily. We move data between them constantly because that's the nature of our organization. We do counseling and at the end of a counseling session, there's some uh, psychometric testing that goes on and we do have the, the largest database in Canada, certainly and probably in the US for outcomes measurement. And that solution, which is our client management solution, has to talk to our accounting solution after every session with the client because we have to create an invoice. Whether it's the client that's paying or a third party that's paying, we have to send enough information to process the invoice. And we were faking it out as best we could, but I knew what I really wanted to accomplish. And I had great experience with DevScope in a prior corporate engagement. And I said, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> Let's just use DevScope all their data integration services expertise. You bring up the point that I wanted to, to hammer home is that it's almost like the data solution for short term or small scope is pretty easy to fill. Yes. Enterprise level integration from item to item to, to cover the whole stream is the complex and hard to chew concept. Very tough. And finding providers for that. Now you said you talked to folks. Did you actually interview? Oh yes. Yeah. So oh, yes. what would you suggest for anyone in your seat? How do you interview? How do you dig deep uh, to understand those facets you talked about? Get them to come to the surface in order to understand what they could do. Well, you have to know what you're looking for to begin with. Right? In other words, I had to be the expert. I had to know what I was talking about in the first place. Yeah. Well, I think one of the reasons why I've been so successful for the Calgary Counseling Center is that I have vast corporate experience. I've run projects and programs from 2 million to 15 million in size, some of them six months, some of them three years. Like Some of them are qu quite vast and always, especially the last, I would say six years, uh, but certainly for a very long time, 
moving data from point A to point B becomes ever more important. If you've experienced that corporately and you say, okay, well, I'm, I'm trying to help out at this now not so little not-for-profit, what do I bring to them that can really work? And a whole lot of pieces fell into place. So I knew what I was looking for. And when I went out and talked to people in the local Calgary community and other places, I knew what resources were there because I was hunting for them when I was doing the, the, my last corporate work. I want these kinds of services and uh, follow on for me to call Desco and say, I think you guys need to help me with this. Yeah. Your organization was lucky to have you by the sounds of it, because uh, yeah. you bring all that wherewithal and not every CIO yep. has that. Correct. Some of them are homegrown, right? Some of them are homegrown. And with that, they have a limited understanding of all these things. Would it be advisable to get a third party to come in and, and trigger in your mess, as Caroline said, you know, the, the Sorry mess. about that. <laughs> and because not everyone's going to have fresh eyes to see beyond what they think they know. I would just like to add one thing, and for sure you told, not everyone has the same eyes, for sure. But not only that, not everyone wants to have the same eyes or, or that kind of eyes. One thing that I truly believe that uh, we as an IT provider do is that we don't try to sell solutions. We don't try to sell a thing or sell time from my consultants to, to our clients. We just try to sell our opinion, our experience. And that's what somehow differentiates us because I went to talk with Neil. I remember that uh, probably we could have done the project already, but what I told him was, let's try to do an evaluation Let's try to see what's under the hood. Let's see how we can help because not probably not everything is wrong, not everything is right. And we should try to, to understand that. But, but for sure, I completely agree on your vision. Not everyone has the same vision. To be fair, I was talking to a, a CIO also last week where he was telling me, hey, I want this project in this way. And I told him, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> good for you i'm not, not gonna do, gonna do it okay nope. sorry uh, i don't believe in that way of working i don't believe it's in our experience and we do have a lot of experience in different vertical industries there are things in very common with each other so the way i see this uh, i have to at least try to make my point of view yep for him to understand why I'm telling that. Well, it sounds to me like you got a little bit of ethics behind you. That's what it sounds like. So I like that because as a non-profiteer doing the first knowledge management charity in the United States, I too have the same framework. I don't want to just do work for transactional purpose. Mm -hmm. And my, my analysis first step is to see if the culture of that organization is going to be able to adopt new behaviors. Because if they're not... I'm not here to sell you some widget that's going to end up on a shelf and nobody's ever going to use and it won't change anything. What a waste of time and effort. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm with you on that one. Caroline, what do you got? What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. We totally agree. And additionally, we come and say that we work with the best practices in the market for that technology and advise the, the, the client that forget we don't go there because that's not the correct 
practice and we advise and suggest, of course, uh, the best practices. But mm -hmm. yes, if we don't agree with the, the solution that they want, we'll tell or advise. That one is not the correct one, but maybe this solution fits. Yeah. And we propose a different perspective for that need. But uh, there are people that are resistant and to their thoughts and their uh, solutions as yeah. is, as they want, and they don't see the future. They don't see it on a different perspective. Right. When we speak on a different uh, view, when we show you a different vision, they commonly agree with us because they don't think about it. They don't get out of their box or of their culture also, we help to see different perspective on, on that. I think that really encases the whole difference between a sales mentality and a advisor's mentality. Mm -hmm. Those are kind of two opposing forces in most business organizations, but you're taking it very to heart. This is meaningful. This is this is not just a sale. This is not just a, oh, we got to get our numbers up this mm -hmm. quarter. You're interested in a long-term beneficial relationship. No, right? it, it's true. And, and then Neil can express his opinion about our work. But uh, the way I see this, and we don't have sellers on our team, for instance. We are purely engineers, okay? Engineers and project managers like Carolina. What that tells me, and every time a client comes to me and say, I want you to do this by this way. So why are you asking me if you already know the answer? Okay. So that doesn't is, it's not a, a, a correct way of doing this. So I'm always obliged to say, Hey, I don't agree with you. We should go this way, but always, but remember, I may not be a hundred percent right. So I must work with you in order to understand how technology should go to your process because sometimes and most most of the times what happens is if the process is not well defined or is not correctly the digital is going to turn it worse yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yes. they'll just make exactly. a bigger mess you, but yeah. faster it'll go faster, faster yeah <laughs> absolutely faster <laughs> we're winning so where's the future everybody you're talking about data and information management uh, solutions that are computerized digits. What are we going to do in five years? Are we still going to be playing catch up? And I see this a lot in the nonprofit realm. This will be interesting to hear your opinions, both on both sides of the coin here of technology interface. Where does virtual reality fall in? Augmented reality. Oh, great uh, question. <laughs> bio, bio injections of technology. You know, I want to get an upgrade on this part of my brain. Boom. <laughs> you know, I got max capacity now. Where do we go from here? And what as an organization should we be looking at? I'd like to jump in a little bit on this one. I see all types in the not-for-profit world. And I, I have obviously a very long-term client in Calgary Counseling Center. I, there are other not-for-profit agencies that from time to time call me up and say, I'm desperate, I need some help. Those calls end up going one of three ways, I think. One is, I need you to do an assessment, tell us which way to go, and I need that report like next Tuesday. Well, you've got you know, an 80-person organization, I don't think I can do it that quickly, right? But ultimately, you, you deliver the work and it, it points to something that they have not thought of at all. They're, it's typically they've been off focusing on 
sew a button to a coat and not thinking about what should the coat look like. There's those kinds of problems. And then ultimately they get really scared. They look at that report and they sit on it. And they may or may not act on it for quite some time. Most new technology applications for -for not-for-profits look really scary to those people. Really scary. The piece that motivates them is security and the threat of being hacked. And on those clients that I've actually had to explain to them that they were sitting ducks and there was, it was amazing to me that they had not been hacked already. They moved pretty fast uh, because they don't want to have to explain to their board uh, that something went awry under their watch. But sometimes they do engage uh, and it goes very slowly and it's a very difficult engagement most of the time because they have notions as Ricardo pointed out, they have notions about what they want they are typically, as you mentioned, Edward, a lot of guys kind of grew up into that role in that organization, but they are not really trained or have the experience to evaluate a full picture. And so they can really end up in a tough spot, right? Trying to re-educate themselves. Shooting themselves in the foot. It, it's, it's a matter of getting themselves re-educated. How open a mind do they have to proceed? And then there's some that they, the third way is they listen, they engage, and they execute. And so it's one of those three things. When we talk about the future, I can tell you there are some phrases that drive me around the bend. So phrase one is, we need some AI. We need AI, AI. And I'm like, AI yeah. what? We just need a robot. <laughs> no, no, what? we just need AI. Just go get some. <laughs> or the other one, the one I hear constantly for Calgary Counseling Centers, we need an app. We need an app. Really. And what's it going to do? I don't know. We need an app that we can sell. No, we don't need an app. In fact, <laughs> out on the marketplace, there's a zillion app, little exactly. you know, phone apps. And you know what? You know how much people buy yeah. into them? They use them for 15 minutes and they die away because that's not how you deliver service. But there is, uh, I think, COVID opened up some unbelievable opportunities in exactly the space, Edwin, that you mentioned, and that is augmented reality. And in the counseling world, this is something that I have started to sort of dig a little deeper on because it has merit. And I'll tell you why. Up until COVID, everybody worked on site. Before March of 20, you could not find a counseling agency that was delivering services over Teams or Zoom. It just wasn't happening. And you heard all kinds of weird stories about why. Oh, privacy rules and HIPAA rules and like, and they were all wrong right? All of them were wrong in their interpretation of what you could and could not do. I even heard from one potential client that they couldn't put their mail in Office 365 because privacy rules forbade that. Well, at County Counseling, one of the things that we did was we made this ginormous shift from fully on-prem to 100% virtual through Teams in a 36-hour space. We sent everybody home, we trained them all up, and away we went. And the havoc that that created in our back office systems is another story entirely, but we got through it. <laughs> but Neil, but we kept, can, you know, can, can I ask you the question, yeah. why did you do it? Oh, it was only because of COVID. Partially. COVID was the final straw, but we were already looking at remote services because Alberta is a big place, bigger than most countries. People can't always come to your office. We were actually very, very successful in doing everything virtually. And then I began to wonder. So now we're talking about going back to work and some people are going to start coming into the office and some clients are going to come into the office. 
where is the fit for a virtual reality for people mm -hmm. to feel like they are part of something bigger? And where that really matters is in, there's a lot of group counseling that goes on. That's part of what Calgary Counseling delivers. And for a lot of clients, that's the thing for them. And they do very well with it. And for your listeners who remember the old Bob Newhart show with group sessions, which were hilarious, they're not like that. But <laughs> nevertheless, it's pretty funny. What you're saying is the value is extracted and people see the evidence of. So it's not going to be an either it's or. It's going to be both. You know, that's the Correct. thing that I, you know, I yep. just... It's going to be both. Yeah. You know, I, cool. I am so over people. Compl oh, the poor people that <laughs> we're not connected like we used to be. Yeah, we don't live in a cave either. It's like, come on. It, it's not going to go back. It's going to continue to progress. Of course. The integration. Start imagining. Exactly. You put on a set of augmented reality goggles and you're in a group session. You're Are in you a kidding? group. Yes, that's fabulous. This is this is a big change, right? It is. I, I I would I really look forward to trying that, and I got to convince our own staff that they want to try <laughs> it. I got to get funding to to get some, like, but I think it would be amazing. I think you're right. So, as service providers, how are you guys going to do this? All right, what's the answer? Uh, Can we have this next week? Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Maybe there is an app. Let's not invent the wheel, okay? On this, <laughs> there's lots of tools no. out there. So yeah, so as Microsoft partners, you're looking at Hololens as the tool. What 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 have we got? There are, a, yeah, there are a lot, a lot of solutions. Obviously, Microsoft has its own solution with Hololens. It has the yep. solution from Metaverse also. Uh, mm -hmm. you probably may know Teams is gonna. I believe the next half of year. Okay, it will join and we'll have uh, Metaverse avatars for people also. So you will be able to, to join with people live with their avatars, which is a funny thing because there was a software a few years ago, if you do, do remember, that already did that. You're not talking about Second Life. You're not talking about, yeah. that was like 30 years ago. <laughs> and you, you talk about a weird thing. That software still looks like it's 30 years old, but the concept, they were, they were there. Yeah, yes. They were like, this is going to be the future. And everybody's like, they were visionaries. It's completely yeah. there. Yeah. And, um, obviously things are going to change. This is only my perspective as a IT services provider, but I still believe that the, the remote is here to stay. It's going to, it's changing everything in the world. I can now work for someone in the U S. And that mentality is changing companies. And no visa restrictions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there is no restriction. You're, yeah. you're right. I never even thought you know? about that. You just magically circumvented the whole global issues of people and governments. Oh, Edwin. Yeah. Edwin, in my career, you cannot imagine how difficult crossing the border from time to time has been. Yeah. For you to understand that reality changed also for us, at least here at Portugal. Probably in the U.S., people may think that Portugal is a city from Spain, what they usually do, okay? But, but still, here in Portugal, we have a lot of talent in, in tech, and probably in Europe, we are very known for that talent. But that reality had not arrived yet to the U.S., but when COVID arrived, things changed completely. And then we had clients from Dubai, uh, the U.S., Calgary. Uh, we are in the world. Yeah. And we, we cannot only think 
as as a company because people are changing their shift and people are leaving companies every day because they're seeing opportunities not right next door but right. all over the world globally okay. yeah but we are seeing local applications day by day so imagine that tomorrow someone have want an app that there isn't at the microsoft store or any store they can quickly do an app with low code just dragging the boxes just uh, for those in the no code uh realm mm -hmm. you're basically saying from the old days of creating code to execute create a software application or or software now you can click and drag and drop and build mechanical pieces without having to know any code whatsoever. Yes, local, no code. Well, it depends on the type of app that you are doing, but yes, you have that future. It's uh, the approach, it's, it's better and accelerates the delivery. Are we gonna get to the point where Python operators and all these dudes that are gals that know software code are they going to be looking for a job in 10 years because I don't need them anymore? <laughs> no. No, but, no, 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 no. But you will have more people in tech developing with low code, which means that they have uh, more uh, skills in tech without knowing any code. I was talking with Neil about that the other day. Our jobs as technical specialists is going to change because we are going to be the ones that are going to do the advising, the correct advising, when these kind of people don't know already how to scale the app. But I believe, and the paradigm is shifting because obviously low-code, no-code, okay, we know all that. Probably low-code, no-code already existed in the past when business did their own Excels with all the stuff on... Oh, go, go further back. Yeah. Remember fourth and fifth generation yeah. languages, but, right? But the difference is right now we have all these kind of tools that can centralize information and can give the opportunity for business to, to have their own process in a better way, or at least in the way they thought they was going to be built. The way I'm hearing this, it gives organizations the opportunity to prototype and beta test something conceptually mm -hmm. first before they commit. Is that a good way to explain it? It is. It is. And I'll, I'll take a real life example. So the first right. was when I first engaged DevScope to do a corporate project, the engineer that was assigned to the project had told us, and the sales rep as well, uh, told us, Yes, it's, it's a low-code, no-code environment. And there was a third-party application that had to be integrated with some other tools. And the vendor of the third-party application kept telling me it would work just before we signed because we really had misgivings about that vendor of that application. And I said to him, if you end up coming to me in two months and telling me that you need X dollars for custom code, I'll be chasing you down the hallway with an axe. So... <laughs> So I put in a non-threatening way. I'm sure, very, very casually. But but absolutely, he was. Everybody was right, and we we pulled off something that to this day, when people see that application, they are in shock about what what's happening in front of their eyes. I had a vice president jump out of his chair, losing his mind. He got so excited. Now that's that's one aspect. The other is we'll use Power App as an example because it's a good one. Anybody can learn the basics of Power App pretty quickly. 
example, suppose you have to make an adjustment to a client's account, right? Charge the wrong rate, whatever. You, you create the app and you just get the approval. Everybody would start with, he paid this, they should have paid that. Supervisor approves and it goes off to accounting for accounting to do some debits and credits. Okay, that's the first step and that's pretty easy. But the magic is when you hire somebody who's got a little bit more skill who can take that approved change and post the changes into the accounting system on your behalf. Now you've got something cooking, right? That's what I call low, no <laughs> friction. That's the value. I got it. So it's not a one-time fix for a one-off thing. It becomes part of the workflow forever. Is it just a bug fix for the short no. term? It's not a bug fix because that's a normal daily kind of business transaction. People come back to you all the time. Yeah. But I can also tell you the story about an hospital here in Portugal when we, when COVID started okay. and they had to put on the tents for uh, the COVID screening. They did all by paper. Okay. And, and they asked us, do you have any solution for doing the screening for uh, either if the patient should go to the ICU, the patient should go home or the patient should do the test. Do you have any solution? You I don't, but do you have the workflow that you want to implement? And he said, yeah, I have that on paper. And I said, I can put that on Power App with Power Automate in two days. And, and they said, hey, that's not possible. And, and then I said, let me just to try to help you because I know you're in desperate need to, to do this. I delivered the app and then there was a problem. Can you imagine the problem? There were not tablets <laughs> for the, the medical staff to work on. It's crazy. It's that in the past, probably it took longer to do the software than buying the hardware. Now, the, the crazy stuff is that they are still using that app. They have reporting on top of that data app, that, that data, and they still are using that. But Carolina can also tell you another good story that we have. Yes, um, in uh, the City Hall, they manage all the public contracts on an Excel. Imagine that they have 150 columns with 12 people uploading information there. <laughs> That's very high tech. That's Imagine a that. great solution. So, we connected with SharePoint and use a power app to do all the stuff they used to do on Excel. And on the top of that, they have reports, almost real-time reports to get all the data that they need. So let's translate that mm -hmm. same experience with people that are Google-fied with Google Suite. You know, and it's a, it's a nonprofit solution. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm thankful a lot of nonprofits use it because it's mm -hmm. free. It's an enterprise-level solution. But similarly in a Google Sheet mentality, they think because it's web-based and I can get users in, that's their data solution. <laughs> I hear the drums calling before we roll here, so I wanna take turns. Neil's gonna go first. You're gonna tell me what your definition of knowledge management is. My definition of knowledge management, knowledge management is a term that I really do not like. It goes along with AI. You cannot manage knowledge fundamentally. That's not possible. What you can do is enable people access to the information they need to do their job wherever they are. That's a more important statement. And it doesn't matter whether that's data from a client service application. It doesn't matter whether that's where it's coming from. It might be a library of documents, but knowledge management, sorry, Edwin, it, it, it's really one of these things that just gets <laughs> out of my skin. And one of the reasons why is I've been in that business for so long. My career started in 
document management in the mid-70s when I was a summer student at Seagram's in Montreal. And one job they gave me was, uh, they gave me a list of archived records. <laughs> they said, you go into this warehouse and here's the list of approved records for destruction and you got to pull those boxes off the shelf and stack them over here. And you got to go take all these new records and record where you're putting them and put them on the shelf. So that was my introduction. <laughs> it's about what do you need to do your job? Can I get you the information you need to do your job? Where's it coming from? I had a great boss, really smart lady. And she always started with, hey, begin with the end user in mind and work backwards. For me, that crystallized everything that I had already been doing, but it was like, yeah, that's a great way to think about it. Start with the end user in mind, you'll get to the right answer. So you may be the only CIO I've ever talked to that thought about the user first. That That's a totally alien concept. Congratulations. It's my pleasure. <laughs> Ricardo, what is your definition of knowledge management? I, I would say that Neil is completely right. I would just add one thing more and Sometimes I see a lot of people and some of our clients do the same error over and over. That is, okay, that I do have all the information, but now I want some kind of reporting dashboards, fancy stuff to show what they already know. Knowledge management is also that people have to think that knowledge or information is about knowing how they can progress how they can be um, and takes decisions around that. So I believe also uh, people are forgetting and people tend to create these AI stuff, like you said, uh, to forecast sales, to forecast probably that don't have the data. And if they have the data, they are not doing the right assumptions about their data. And additionally, I can have, I have your opinion, Ricardo, but I can have a few more things that additionally, they don't know where is the information sometimes. And they don't maintain to the current and updated, even update the, the documents. Of course, they must share the information. Sometimes they don't share it. Uh, and knowledge management, management, manage, you must manage and maintain and share. Please do not forget that. But of course, uh, they, they need to know where is it yeah. first. <laughs> yeah. Building the widgets and the content is one thing. Access is another thing. But knowing, institute the behaviors of knowledge handling and knowledge flow and responsibility, that's where the kind of the, the grease hits the road is that mm -hmm. unless you build all those behaviors in and you can throw it on HR, you can throw it on leadership to make sure that happens. But if you think of it like a, a brick wall, the bricks are all that data knowledge and components and artifacts and all those parts and pieces, hardware, software, but everything that holds that together, the masonry, the concrete is the knowledge management. That's the skill set that soft skills to where you get people involved in order to share because you mm -hmm. don't want knowledge hoarders in your organization. And we all know <laughs> one, right? Those are bad, bad apples. Thank you all for being here. I appreciate every one of you and thanks for your time Thank you. and knowledge sharing. <laughs> Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Edwin. Edwin, it's been a pleasure. Because You Need to Know is designed to bring people's experience and their knowledge forward to be shared. 
I'm Edwin K. Morris, and I thank you for joining in to listen to another conversation brought to you as a public service of Pioneer Knowledge Services, a nonprofit tax exempt organization with a charitable knowledge management purpose. Find us online at pioneer ks.org and add your voice to the conversation on Facebook.